Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Book Leads Impactful Books for Life and Leadership. I'm your series host and leadership performance coach, John Jeremillo. This podcast series is about getting to the books that have inspired or made an impact on my network, whether it's friends, coworkers, colleagues, even people that I haven't met. Up until this point, I think I've met only two or three of my guests, so it just shows the nature of the virtual world that we live in. In any case, I feel these are all great leads to get to those books that have made an impact on who they are as a person, their business, their work, whatever whatever it is that they want to share as those powerful lessons, whether it is another book or their own. And getting into that, I do cover three categories of books. The first, where they're schooling me on a book that I haven't read. The second category, where we've both read the same book, whether specifically for the series or if we've read it in our previous lives. And then the third category is where I interview the author of the book or the publisher, just so they can share the message behind their work and what they wanted to deliver to their audience in that book. So for this episode, I will have an author and my guest will be Carrie Lynn Hudson. Carrie Lynn holds a Bachelor of Arts in Law and Psychology, a certified human resources leader accreditation and is a graduate of interest-based mediation training. She has 25 years of experience as a coach, facilitator, and leader, including seven years as a senior human resources manager with extensive experience addressing workplace issues and organizational challenges. Carrie Lynn's expertise in interviewing, onboarding, and training informed her interview coaching business, jobinterviewcoach.ca, and what she's gleaned from meeting candidates, learning about their skills and abilities, and gaining insight into why they are seeking to leave their current employment has been integrated into her book, Knowing Who You Lead. These key lessons will help current and future leaders empower, engage, and return employees and retain employees. Carrie Lynn has now expanded her services to include the coaching and mentoring of leaders in her second business, inspiringorganizationalgrowth.ca. And I met Carrie Lynn because of this series. Luckily, she reached out about sharing her message here. We talked. I learned about her background, the work that she's doing. And I'm excited to, again, pick another great person's brain in the leadership field or the field in which they specialize. So, Carrie Lynn, thank you for being with me. Oh, thank you for the invitation. So, Carrie Lynn, my first question is always, who are you today? So I read the bio, but what kind of book, what kind of uh, work are you doing today? What, what is your, what does your business look like? What is it you deliver for your clients? So um, I left the world of corporate and moved into solo um, entrepreneurship and I am absolutely loving it. Um, and the reason is because I feel like I have now the ability to come into organizations. I get to just, I call it sit in the bleachers, watch what's happening, and then really help and coach and inspire. Um, so I get to do the stuff I really love. I love building relationships and rebuilding relationships. So this has been uh, a really wonderful transition. So what does that look like in the day-to-day, -day, whether you're coaching? Um, I don't know how much writing you're doing. If you're, it, We'll get into whether or not you're working on any subsequent books. Um, so what does that look like? What kind of clients are you working with? Uh, are there examples of the types of, are there workshops involved, seminars, anything like that? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the clients that I'm currently working with are, I would say, mid-level um, organizations. Um, one of my key pieces is I like to work with leaders who you've already been in the trenches for a while. I always say, I'm not here to teach you your job. Um, I use lots of hockey analogies because I'm from Northern Ontario and we love <laughs> hockey. Um, yeah. So I'm not here to teach you how to skate. I'm not teach, here to teach you the game. My job is to sit in the bleachers, watch what's happening. And then here's the key piece that I think we've missed for so many years. 
I get to sit on the bench with you and help you coach because that's the really hard part. Um, you know, I taught many of those leadership courses and I talk about many of my mistakes in this book because I loved it. I love leadership. I love the theories. I love the concepts. I would teach it. And I was so excited and people would leave the class. And then three months later, they'd come back and say, yeah, this isn't working. Like I tried it with this player and it it doesn't work. And these two can't get along. And I tried your sandwich approach. And, and, <laughs> and it's because, yeah, this is really hard. It's hard to put it into practical practice. So you need that coach on the bench with you. So that's what I do with leaders. I help you out. So when it comes to my guests and getting into the work that they're doing, what is it from your past that kind of planted the seed for your work today? Can you trace it back to an experience? Can you trace it back to your parents? Can you trace it back to um, education or somebody maybe being in the field? What is it from your past where you look to your past, maybe even as a child, and you say, it makes sense that I am I am where I am doing the work that I'm doing. Yeah, that's such a great question. Because it's really, it's good for people to look at that because then you really learn what is my passion? What's my purpose? Um, and so one of the exercises I actually did, I kind of hit, um, I call it rock bottom or just really feeling like I didn't know what direction I was going anymore. Um, I was doing the work, but I wasn't happy and so I did an exercise called find your purpose every day. And literally what you do is you start to write down in the past, what were the things that where I really found I was truly myself. I felt like I was engaged. I was excited. And every time I looked at the examples, it always had to do with building relationships or rebuilding relationships, um, conflict. I, I'm not adverse to conflict. I, I love conflict mm. because I feel it's, shows us the root of what's going on. Yes. That's what I always say. And people are always uh, taken aback. But I just, mm -hmm. you know, you've been around the block a, lo a long time and enough to know that sometimes when you get to conflict, that's when people really express who they are, mm -hmm. what they want to see, mm -hmm. issues that they see. Uh, we're not really good at being proactive about it. Sometimes it's when we feel our back is up against the wall where we kind of share what we have an issue with. That could probably benefit everybody everybody that's involved but sorry for interrupting i just love that idea mm -hmm. of just appreciating conflict oh it, it's an opportunity but this is where like the watching from the bleachers and watching from the bench helps people because when you're in the middle of the conflict if you're in the middle of the game and it's not working and there's no team synergy and nobody's listening to each other and we can't get the play that we practiced we had this great theory or strategic goal or plan and now it's not working I mean, frustration, stress, all of those emotions are very normal. Um, I'm actually listening a lot now to Dr. Eugene Choi. And he is fantastic. And he gives a really simple analogy. And he says that 70% of the time, we are stuck in our reptilian or survival brain. And the key is we need to move to our executive brain or our growth brain or our own it brain, like whatever analogy you want to use. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly the stuff I love doing with people. So a long answer to uh, your question, but I started to do this exercise. I started to realize this is really where my purpose is. I love teaching. I've taught many, many courses. And really 
that's where I found it was just so fulfilling. And I don't care if people come to the class with their arms crossed and saying me saying to me, this is dumb and I don't even want to be here. And I was voluntold I had to come. No <laughs> that's okay. No problem. Because so, we're going to engage in conversation. And in the end, I bet you talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because so often it's people have this kind of prescribed notion of what to expect. Mm -hmm. And I love even in coaching, even in presenting, working with students, they have this kind of idea. And until you ask them a question that they've never heard before, mm -hmm. I love getting that. No one's ever asked me that before. And that's what I try to get to because I think everybody has, I found during the pandemic that everybody has a story to tell and we're mm -hmm. not the best storytellers until again, our back is up against the wall and the pandemic kind of opened people's eyes up as evidenced by the great resignation. Um, people were moving towards wanting to express what they needed or they felt they had no choice or there was mental health issues. I mean, I had my own anxiety throughout the pandemic that I've talked about. Um, people will open up if you ask the right questions. And I think in society, we're not too good. It could be a cultural thing, of course, but I think we're not too good at really getting to know each other. We're kind of on, on cruise control, reacting to the, what the world is showing us without really stepping into it and volunteering our own story. So I, I can appreciate what you're sharing about people kind of being keeping you at arm's length until they hear what you're about. And I always started with that. I would always start with, here's who I am. Here's the mistakes I've made. So my book is written exactly the same way that I would design a course. And that I tell the reader that, that I'm going to start with me. Here's who I am. And I'm introducing you to me because the book is called Knowing Who We Lead. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about it, here's my characteristics. Here who I, here's who I am as an employee. Do you like it or do you not like it? What assumptions are you making? What labels are you putting on me? Am I somebody you would hire or somebody you would stray away from? Why? And yeah. so we start to challenge each other, you know, in thinking about some of those things. So when did you take this? I, I don't know if you said it was a, an assessment, a test, or what mm -hmm. was it? When was it in your career that you got that, that question that kind of opened your eyes to, I guess, your future? So it was... Uh, a long journey. It was realizing that um, I felt like I just wasn't living my purpose, but I had no idea what that meant. Um, and so when you don't know something, you need to tune to your own coaches. And that's what mm. I did. I, I turned to a coach um, and his guidance to me was try this exercise, try writing down what your purpose is, and then start to see the common themes. What were the things that really made you feel happy? Um, and it came out very clearly that I love building and rebuilding relationships. I like helping people understand what the other person's story is or what's at the root of the issues. So I went back to school again. I've been to school many times because I think uh, life is just a learning journey. Um, so I took my mediation training and that was fantastic. And that opened a lot of new opportunities because, oh, yeah. of, right? Because it's all yeah. about. What are yeah. your interests? What are your needs? Why yes. is this conflict really happening? And uh, and I just I nod just because I ha I have done my own mediation training, and you're right, mm -hmm. it does open up your your eyes to what people come to the tables, their wants, their facade, maybe mm -hmm. their ego, mm -hmm. versus okay, when you put down when you put down all these weapons, right? What is it you really need? Mm -hmm. And then can we get to the point where we understand that no one's trying to take that from us? You know, obviously cases are different. But it, that, 
I've done some mediation, not as much as I've wanted to, but that was a uh, an amazing training to do just because it shows me it's helped in relationships. It's mm-hmm. helped in communication. Mm-hmm. You know, you may come into a conversation with bravado or a certain voice of, of not whatever it may be, ego, arrogance, entitlement, whatever it may be, whatever level of, of any of those. But then you learn, okay, I, I you know, I got to put down what I want and start thinking about what I need because that that wanting is maybe off putting or it's causing friction. So it's such a I mean, even I would say even if somebody isn't thinking about going into mediation, look into some kind of mediation course just to get a sense for how that type of conversation goes and what the foundation of it is. It's so powerful. Mm -hmm. And that's what actually one of the things that I chose to do in the book was, so basically I've taken my 25 years of everything that I've learned, mistakes I've made, how I taught courses, how leaders would then come back and say, this didn't work. And we'd figure out why I talked about doing the traditional um, as an HR manager, as a, you know, a CEO level senior manager, trying to help people resolve issues. But of course, I'm doing it in a solution based way, because that's what we do. You come in, you tell me what your problem is, and I try to solve it for you. And then the week later, the same employees come back, and they're not getting along. And now this team has friction. And but we don't know what we don't know. Mm. So, so I'm introducing the reader to um, very um, simple and strategic tools they can use. There's lots of exercises in the book. This is meant to be very practical. Um, and mediation is absolutely one of the things I'm going to introduce you to in the book. This is how, and this is literally, here's how you might've dealt with it. And here's what the result was. Now let's try this strategy. Let's try first asking some root questions to figure out what are the interests and the needs. Don't go to solution. And I tell the leader, stop talking, just yeah. listen. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie Lynn, before we go into the book, though, yeah. I want to know when you talk about you took that exercise, you you mm-hmm. completed that exercise and you came to the realization that it was about for you is about relationship building or rebuilding. Mm-hmm. What is it from your past? Even though we may function in a certain way, we get to a point where somebody points something out mm-hmm. like you're riding through life. You get to a certain point and somebody's like, oh, you've been riding on a horse. And for whatever reason, you this is an analogy I just came up with. I don't know why. I like horseback riding. But- <laughs> okay, I didn't even know that, but um, but it's amazing when we we've felt something our entire lives, and sometimes we don't know what that is until somebody else points it out to us. Mm-hmm. So when you had that exercise, when you went through that exercise, and it pointed out that your purpose was tied to the power of relationship building and enjoying mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. what from your past can you point back to that's that kind of says, oh yeah, it makes sense. This is how I was as a child or with my parents or with my family. This is what I took from those experiences. Because I'm just very curious what that seed is that gets planted that Mm -hmm. develops my guests into who they are today. So knowing that when you completed that exercise, can you look back and say, okay, this is why that makes sense? Oh, 100 percent. Yep. And I tell this story about um, I was probably about six or seven. And I remember coming home proudly showing my dad these pennies in my hand. Um, And a friend had given me this money and I was so proud of it. And he said, give that back. We don't take from other people. So what that literally did, and I love my dad and dad knows that this, this story is in here, but it's one of those root valued lessons that you get when you're really young. And what that transferred for me to was you give to others, you don't take, you give to others, you don't take. 
And so what I started to do in life and have always done it, I'm very much put yourself second, third, fourth, fifth, Mm. and give to other people. So I went into policing. I was a police officer for 17 years. Loved it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Loved it. Moved to the job of the rank of sergeant, ran the training branch. So I did a lot of training, a lot of coaching, a lot of supervising. Um, And it was obviously giving back to my service, giving back to the public. It's always, it's right. Putting yourself first or putting Mm -hmm. them first. Then I moved into human resources. Uh, Shout out to every single HR person listening right now. That is one of the hardest jobs there is. And this is coming from somebody who was formerly a cop. Because now (laughs) I used to laugh and I went, this job is a lot harder because the people that you're dealing with, I don't get to just deal with your issue and leave and never really deal with you That's again. That's true. Yeah. No, I get to deal with you again tomorrow and the next day. I have to work even harder at building relationships because I am going to deal with you from the beginning of your career to the end of your career. My so job you, is to do that. How did you jump from police work to hmm. HR? It's a strange transition. Um, yeah. I mean, not tra- not strange, but just so different mm-hmm. than, than I would have expected. You know, mm-hmm. you can open my eyes to what why that seemed like a, a great tra- uh, transition. Uh, there was a few different reasons. My husband, too, uh, just retired from 32 years of policing. Um, so, you know, with two of us in policing and having children and running a farm, it was pretty difficult and I really didn't want to go through the stages of like, literally we see each other one day out of five weeks because we're working opposite shifts and shuffling kids. So I was looking probably more for that Monday to Friday, um, experience. And so, um, in some police services, human resources branches run by officers. Mm-hmm. Um, that wasn't our situation. We were civilian driven. So I needed to transition to the civilian side of the house, which for me gave me again i love that aerial view and it was a great transition because now i really had a better understanding of what i call both sides of the house i'd been sworn and i'd been civilian i could see Mm -hmm. things from both perspectives i could understand where the frictions were happening um so i think it served me really well um and then i went back to school again and got my mediation training because i could see how that was going to help everybody and trying to rebuild oh, HR. This, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where, where does the farm come into play? Is that more from your side, your husband's side? Was that kind of a, a mutual thing? Is it, is it a family legacy kind of thing? Where does that, where does the farm play into your life? Yeah. The farm has always been my husband's. Um, okay. and so I moved here, mm, I don't know, like 20 years ago now. Um, that's his love. That's his passion. I mean, it was his way of kind of decompressing too, right? Policing extremely difficult oh, job. Yeah. And he was on the road for 32 years. So uh, he was that road sergeant that everybody loved and, you know, you could always rely on. And then he would come home and decompress and go drive a tractor that, and deal yeah, with like that, What kind of farm <laughs> are we talking about? What do we have? We have beef cattle. We have horses. Okay. And we he does a lot of uh, hay um, that he, you know, feeds our own with and then sells. That's amazing. It just shows you the power of the mind where the mind can be so exhausted from the work of Mm -hmm. policing Mm -hmm. that that strenuous physical work of farming and and working with cattle and horses and all of that can Mm -hmm. be a decompression against what the mind just has to endure. That's that's powerful that that's his decompression. Mm -hmm. Good for him, though, that he found it or Mm -hmm. has been in it for so long. Yeah. So um, 
you know, I, I found myself always going into these careers where I was serving other people and I want to give back and I want to give back. Um, but I mean, we all have to realize that you can only keep giving and mm -hmm. giving and you're going to burn yourself out. It's that. And I keep telling people, you know what? Fill your own cup first. Yeah. Fill your own cup first. So then you can fill other people's. And it was a lesson that I had to learn. Um, another lesson I had to learn was the idea that you can't make everybody happy and mm -hmm. you need to make yourself happy. And then it just exudes. And now you get to yes. really give to people. Yes. So you asked me, uh, like, how did I learn that lesson? Who pointed that one out? Well, kids are beautiful. Kids say it the way it is. And um, I tell it, I tell quite a few family stories in the book. And my daughter was the one that pointed that one out for me. Mom, oh. really? Stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's amazing. You know, the professionals that I've had on here, the, 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 the authors that I've had on here, established careers, all of you, right. With great yep. histories and education or not education, entrepreneurial or not police officers or not. Mm -hmm. And the, the greatest truths that always come to the surface in these conversations is the state of the child. Going back to when you were a dreamer, going back to when you had a imagination, going back to when you had creativity or and or when a child tells you exactly how it is like mm -hmm. that brutal honesty that is kind of subdued by society. You know, as, as you get older, it's kind of like keep your opinion to yourself. But no, yep. like in family, your kid is going to tell you exactly what's affecting them. I mean, I, I even have a presentation where some of the best leadership coaching uh examples that I've ever seen came from my toddler at the time, mm -hmm. you know, that mm -hmm. creativity, that imagination being completely engrossed in what you're doing at the time, um, not throwing a tantrum, but going for what you need. So is this just this common theme that always comes back to the clarity of the mind of the kid, whatever age they may be, just because of that? Yeah, they're, they're untouched by life's, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, whether it's toxicity or whatever it may be. Um, before they lose that that honesty that innocence i guess um there's just, just so many lessons there well and i think it for me too like my daughter was a teenager at that point um and i think what it teaches you as a parent is one you know you can learn things from other people they're watching you too so they're watching the fact that you keep burning yourself out trying to satisfy everybody else and you need to stop stop yeah. like what do you want because that's what you keep asking me, mom. Like, what do I want? What, who do I want to be? Well, are you being who you want to be? Um, and beyond that, we have to think of ourselves as we're the role model. Yeah. So what are we teaching them if we stay in that survival brain all the time? If we don't move to our executive brain, if we don't allow ourselves to be creative, if we don't venture out and push ourselves and be vulnerable, you mm. can't ask other people to do it if you don't do it. And absolutely. they're watching you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think my kids are uh, six, three, and then uh, a two and a half month old. Mm. And it's amazing the conversations that I have with my son at six years old that infuse mm -hmm. those kind of lessons that you just spoke about. Mm -hmm. I don't talk to him like he's a client. I don't talk to him like he's an adult. But I ask him questions that kind of get him to 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 guide himself towards that area of just like self-reflection what is it he needs, his creativity, being proactive instead of reactive. So I love having those conversations with him where it's just kind of just kind of trying to plant that seed before because I never had that. 
Like mm-hmm. I had great lessons as a child from my parents. They were immigrant workers, hardworking, mm-hmm. all about love, family, friends. But I didn't really have those kind of conversations with my dad. So it's great to instill those kind of ideas that you're talking about. Planted that seed of not telling them what to think, but to get them in that mindset of how to think, how to explore, how to see the world around them and what they can yeah, take for themselves. I think that's a major lesson, which you just pointed out is mm-hmm. I want them to take care of themselves first before they take care of anybody else. Because there is that burnout. There's that constant burnout. There's that toxic positivity where you want everything to work out at at the cost of your own energy, your own passion, or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And in my teaching, like when I facilitate, I always share lots of stories, lots of analogies. Because I think people just learn. Um, And I find stories coming from my kids or experiences I've learned, it lets people let put their guard down. I'm not talking about you. I'm just giving you an example. So Mm -hmm. one of the ones that I use that's really fun is all about labels and assumptions, because we don't realize just how many labels we put on other people, how many assumptions we make about other people, and they can be very dangerous. Those are the things that, you know, um, affect trust, affect communication, cause the conflicts. So here's a fun one. When my son was about seven, he's 21 now. Um, He was not somebody who would ever sit still. He was always moving around. He was not one of the ones that would just sit at the desk and do his, do his work for the teacher. You know, he's probably chatting to the person beside him. He's very body kinetic. He needs to move. You're describing my son to a T. To a T. And for some people, it's they're harder to lead. They're harder to teach, right? Because you're not fitting the mold or the label or the assumptions I've had on a good person, a good student equals this. Yes. So, um, but I had always taught him the lesson that if you get in trouble at school, you better tell me when you get off the bus, do not let me get a phone call from the teacher. (laughs) So he'd march off the bus and say, I got a red card today. I had to stay for recess. Okay, buddy. And I can still picture him coming down the driveway, you know, begging, dragging along so mad. (laughs) And buddy always had a rationale. He'd explain the way it went. He'd explain his side. I'm like, okay, like there's no, I'm not going to punish you again. You've already missed your recess. That's enough. So (laughs) we go to the parent teacher meeting and you can picture us sitting in those little tiny chairs, right? And you have to sit at the table with the the teacher. And she she had the students do a survey, kind of a self-assessment, which was a really interesting. And there was words and you had to rate yourself. So one of the words was responsibility. And how did he rate himself? One through five. Mm -hmm. Well, her assumption or, you know, a feeling of him was that his responsibility was very low because he didn't, he wasn't responsible in class. He was disruptive or he was talking or whatever. Well, he rated himself at a five. And she said, well, what are you doing? Like, this isn't appropriate. You're not a, and I said, okay, let, let's just hear him. Ryan, why did you give yourself a five? And he said, because I always take responsibility when I do something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the kid's not right? wrong. He's That's not like wrong. You want to give your kid a big high five. Like, yeah, yes. it's like they say this stuff and you're just like, I know I shouldn't be agreeing, but damn, that was good. Yeah, kind of thing. Because that really is ethically the moral that I've always been trying to teach you. If you do something, own it. Don't yeah. blame someone else. Don't play the victim. Own it and learn from it. So you just did. 
So I put that one in the book and I use it um, when I'm teaching courses and it, you know, it, it kind of breaks up the friction. And then, then we talk about what kind of labels have people used on you and how did it mm. make you feel? What kind of assumptions did people make? Because they didn't know who you were. Did they know who they were leading? Probably not. I actually did a survey, which was fascinating. I had employees from all different walks of um, experience and different um, professions fill out a survey. And I asked, are there things that you wish your leader knew that you've never told them? High percentage of people. Yeah. So then the follow-up question, of course, is why? And it comes down to things like, well, I didn't want to bug them. I think they're really busy. I don't really trust them. Everybody gossips about things. So I wasn't sure if I share, if it'll, you know, anybody else will find out. Assumptions. Assumptions. What will they think of me? If I tell them that I'm having some mental health struggles, like, what are they going to think? If they, if I tell them that, I know I'm, I'm finding it really hard because my mom's ill and I'm not getting a lot of sleep. What will they think? Now imagine as a leader, how you could utilize and empower and engage with that employee if you knew. Yeah. But they're not telling you. So I just think there's so many things that um, we can leverage, we can inspire people with. I think every employee has potential, every single one of them. Yep. But absolutely. Sometimes we put people in the wrong positions or as leaders, poor leaders. Oh, you're great at your job. Wonderful. Can you now be, become a supervisor? Can you start coaching people? Well, I'm good at my job, but I don't know how to lead other people. I yeah. don't know how to manage. It's amazing how they think that one one immediately follows the other. They're really right. good at their job. They're really good technically. They got control over their environment. They could, mm -hmm. They have good tools in place. Mm -hmm. That's a supervisor. It's like, yeah, there's more to it than that. But I right. love what I love what you're talking about in terms of the responsibility on both ends. Mm -hmm. Because what I've learned in the pandemic is we do have a responsibility to tell our story. Mm -hmm. And you may be in environments where uh, it's not explicit from the leadership that you should open up, tell your story, share who you are, share your opinions. But that each of us does have a responsibility to, yeah, cut aside those assumptions, which you gave great examples of, and sharing what it is we want to share. Not taking everything, not sharing everything about ourselves, mm -hmm. but even just the the tip of the iceberg of who we are. I mean, it's amazing how, how, how much people keep back uh, and don't share at all. And then they're burning out because all this energy of who they are isn't being untapped anywhere. Um, so there's such a responsibility that we each have on ourselves. Uh, you do have to kind of experiment. You, there has to be trial and error, even if you're the one being led about what your place is, that it's not just the job description, but what you want to see for your, yourself as well, because it is coming down to health. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Work is changing. It's not mm -hmm. just sitting in a, in a factory, hitting the same piece or doing the same machine over and over again. You're dealing with relationships. You're dealing with skills, knowledge, culture, everything that goes into it, the stress that comes into the workplace because of a pandemic, because of, you know, around here, school shootings, because of mm. social justice issues. There's so much that goes into it. You can't leave that at the door when you come into the workplace. So it's like, you need you need to fight for your own health and that's what it's coming down to is is your actual physical health mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely and i think one it, and it's not that we aired we just didn't know i mean and yeah that, exactly so 
I mean, when I taught the courses, I would teach to a certain level and I would teach, here's a bunch of tools to use. But when I say, okay, you need to talk to your, you need to talk to your members. You need to learn more about them. Okay. But what am I supposed to ask? And what am I supposed to say? So I use data analytics because I find that really helps people. Um, so for an example, everybody has done different analytic assessments at work. You've done Myers-Briggs, you've done DISC, you've done predictive analytics, you've done, you know, whatever your analytic system is. And if you haven't, you know, I've got a couple that I've mentioned, but we can start to use that language to explain who we are as people and what we need. So yeah. for example, if I'm um, a very data-driven person, I really need detail. I need to have a process. I need to know what the policy is. I need time to think about it. And then I need to have time to execute. Okay, so that's who you are. So what you can then do is when you're in a conflict with somebody, it turns out the reason that you're so frustrated is because they keep shooting you all these emails, changing the priorities. First, we're working on this task. Now we're working on this task. It's causing you anxiety because you need to have a process. You need to mm -hmm. do things well. And if you keep rushing me, I'm not going to do it well because I don't understand what we're doing. So instead of just saying to the person, oh, you just keep sending me emails. I'm so frustrated. You're so annoying. You can use language like, look, I'm, I'm actually really data driven. I really like process. So I find it very difficult when you don't give me that information first. Oh, okay. So you just need the report like a week ahead. Yeah, that would be great. All mm. right. Yeah. So I find it's like a really safe way for people to start to have conversations and explain who they are without because people are like, well, I don't want to share who I am. Like that's not anybody's business. That's okay. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. okay. But then just realize that you're limiting yourself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You have mm -hmm. a responsibility. It, it's a responsibility to yourself not to them because if you're not sharing with them what you need you're the one that's going to lose out and mm -hmm. sometimes depending on what you get and not being able not knowing how to respond if they keep doing that you'll burn out maybe lash out and it's this vicious cycle that just keeps going mm -hmm. and that's why if leaders learn some mediation skills learn how to you know re reframe things draw some more information out if when you first hire people don't just base everything on their resume and that that's who they are. Do some analytics with them. Learn who this person is that you're leading. Yes. Explain to them who you are as a boss and how you lead and what your needs are. They will slowly, the trust will build and the dialogue will happen. They will come and start to share with you. I promise it absolutely happens. I've seen it happen over and over. It's just so it's I think people want to see the right thing right away. Mm -hmm. There's instant gratification. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think social media, the Internet has put us in a world. Amazon, I blame Amazon, where it's just <laughs> instant gratification. If you need something, you can look it up. It'll be here later today. In some cases, it'll be here tomorrow. We're just so used to that. I mean, my kid, I talk about it all the time where when I was a kid and I wanted to see a, a video on MTV, I'd have to sit around all day and wait for it. Now he knows. I can't tell him, no, that show's not on. He's like, no, there's Netflix, there's Prime, there's this, there's that. You know, and I fight him on it. I don't let him see it all the time. But that instant access that when it comes to building relationships, we're not trained from a very young age to navigate relationships. 
we want that instant gratification. We don't have the patience. We don't know that the, the work that goes into it. So that's just, I always go back to how much we need those skills as kids to learn those for this very purpose that it won't fix the workplace, but it'll work towards that area where people are, like you said, the mediation skills, they're aware mm -hmm. of the, the psychology of it. So mm -hmm. it's, um, it's powerful stuff. And it, it all comes back again to communication. Um, Carrie Lynn, before we jump into the book, mm -hmm. I'm curious, what, do, what have you learned from coming into your husband's world of farming? Mm, mm. What, what have you taken away from that for your own life, for your work? I mean, there's got to be some kind of lesson that just from seeing living that world that it might kind of transfer over into your business or your client. What what is that connection for you that's come out of, of living on a farm for that that many years? Oh, there's lots of lessons. I mean, there's life and death. You know, there's the um, the secular evolution of everything, whether it's a crop or whether it's an animal. Um, it also teaches you a lot of patience and that you can't control everything because in farming, we have no idea if what the weather is going to be like. You try to get hay done. If anybody's done hay out there, it, it can be an extremely frustrating process because if it rains every second day, you can't cut the hay because mm. you have to. I actually made um, a book for people at work. I created a picture book and and I explained what doing hay actually is. And I had my daughter in there. She was three at the time. It's a lot of fun because there's so many stages to, to it and people don't even really understand what hay no. is, yeah. right? And where does it come from and what do you do with it? Um, so for quick, you have to cut it, you have to rake it, flip it so that it dries, and then you have to bale it either into square bales or round bales, and then you have to get it off the field and into a barn before it gets rain all over it. Mm -hmm. But in order to do that, you need two to three days of beautiful weather, no dew, no rain. Um, so farming definitely teaches you that you have to work when there's work, but then you have to wait. And if that family trip was supposed to be on the weekend, maybe not because this is the best time to do the hay. Um, and it also, yeah. And it also taught me like reliability, right? There's other living beings relying on you. They're relying on you for the hay, for the, their food. You have to put that horses in and out of the barn every, every night, you know, like some, another living soul is depending on you. Um, and so it just takes that responsibility to another level, but I love it. It's, it's peaceful and it's wonderful mm -hmm. and I love it. Yeah. I knew there had to be some kind of lessons there that you could <laughs> just even consciously or subconsciously extract and transfer. So I appreciate you sharing. Mm -hmm. So why don't we jump into the book? I had mentioned it in the bio, but why don't you give uh, just an introduction to the book? Uh, obviously this is your book mm -hmm. and what you mentioned a lot of good pieces of what the background is to the book, but mm -hmm. what is the book? And then what's the the story arc of the book what is it mm -hmm. the order in which you kind of wanted to deliver the message we don't have to go chapter by chapter but mm -hmm. what is the kind of path you walk the reader through um so the book is called knowing who you lead because i think it's absolutely pivotal for leaders to understand who they're leading because leadership is exhausting and i promise that if you get to know the people that you're leading i'm actually going to make your job easier and get rid of some of those frustrations and the same issues coming up over and over and over. <laughs> um, 
And we talk about, you know, things like attracting good employees, retaining good employees. That's huge right now. And so the book really speaks to a lot of the reasons like why maybe we're not retaining our employees and how we can, you know, facilitate that. So I walk people through um, five parts of the book. And the first one obviously begins with who are you? Because you have to understand yourself. And we've, you know, alluded to some of that as to so that I can explain to other people who I am. Um, I can understand why I'm reacting certain ways to certain people. Why do I always hire the same type of person? Well, the more I know about myself, now I start to realize where some of those biases have come from. Um, and then we move into, so who are you leading? Do you actually know? Because I bet you don't. You do not know who you're leading. You might know some employees better than others and probably to your point because they share more. But you have other ones you have no idea. There are things you don't know anything about them. Um, and then, you know, that ventures into a whole bunch of things. So then the third part is all about, okay, now that we know these two things, now we have to do work at building trust, reducing triggers, and dealing with conflict. Because if we don't do that, and once you start to become aware of it, you start to realize, oh, okay, wait. I think I see what's going on here because I, now I know that you really need detail and you love to have it written down. And this person just talks it off. Talk, 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 <laughs> talk, 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 right? You yeah. can almost see, you like you talked about being proactive, you can start to be proactive because you start to see why things are happening. And then the fourth part is the tough part for coaches and leaders. And it's the part I think we don't, haven't done enough on and that's putting it into practice. This is that part where we have to get vulnerable. We have to try it. We have to ask for feedback in what we're trying and realize it didn't go the way that we thought it was and then figure out why. And then the last part is the piece about inspiring organizational growth. You know, what are your real goals? What are those strategic goals? What's in your mission, vision and values? Is it things like inclusivity, um, striving to be more diverse? start striving to be more innovative. Fantastic. So now let's go back through the other 18 lessons in this book. And I make them do an organizational checklist. Where do you think you're at? How are you doing? Okay, so now let's figure out the, more of the why I've taught you a lot of things as we move through this book. Mm. And they're going to start to make, you know, some of their own um, conclusions. And I actually have a leadership um, goal planner that goes with like as a subset um, like later after this book, where they can actually develop their own action plans okay. and say, okay, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to write down what went well, what didn't, and what do I still need to learn? Because that's really the piece instead of the book just going on the shelf. No, <laughs> commit yeah. to it. Let's do it. Let's try this. Let's see how we do. And Carolyn, the, the book came out when? Uh, the book is coming out. Is um, coming out. Okay. Yes. So it's been, um, I've had beta reads done. I've had uh, five or six different professionals from very different um, backgrounds reading the book um, and giving the insight on it. And then it will be going um, in August. It will be available to everyone for reading. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'll keep a lookout on mm -hmm. social media for when you post anything on it and then reshare this episode. For sure. Uh, but when it came to the book, how long was it stewing in your mind that you wanted to write a book? And then what was the trigger for actually putting pen to paper or fingers to keys to get this done, to get the book done, to get it out there? 
yeah, that was again, that purpose exercise. That was, that was such a great process. And I suggest it to anybody because once I realized what my real purpose was and what's my passion, okay, then how are you going to do it? And one of the things, again, Dr. Eugene Choi talks about is that when we get into our executive brain, we get into that creative piece of our brain. And so often as adults, we are not creative. We've left that, right? You used to scrapbook and you used to paint and you used to do all these things, but they're all I used to. And when you think about how long ago it was, it's 20 years ago. You haven't had time for that. So writing, definitely creative. Um, And I started only to kind of put down my thoughts. What are the things you like? What are the things you've told people? What are the things you know? And then it just kind of kept evolving. And I realized, hmm, I got something here. (laughs) There's something here. Yeah. And it was really um, invigorating to say, yeah, you know what? You really do. You have Mm. a lot to share. You have a lot of lessons you've learned. You don't mind being vulnerable and telling people where you've messed up and here's what you can learn from. So just keep going. And then I would listen to a podcast and I'd get another idea and I'd think, oh, that connects to this. And oh, that's a great book. I put a lot of books in here, a lot of podcasts, a lot of information. Again, I'm not teaching you how to skate. I'm not teaching you leadership. You know that. But let's re-examine some of the great things other people have taught us, some of the books you've read, and really make some of the connections. That's the stuff I love to do. I love to make connections for people. Yeah, that that just came up in a conversation I had a couple of days ago for, I think, the previous episode, was just that interconnectivity of everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That once you open your eyes to it, once you're made aware of it, if you're curious enough, you can see how everything is connected. And you probably have an example off the top of your head. I can't think of one, but I've mm-hmm. just learned, especially, I mean, books. I mean, I mark up all my books like this mm-hmm. is like that book, like this <laughs> same thing. I, I, I get these deja vu moments because the thing with me is I don't read one book at a time. I'm, mm-hmm. I have like four books going because I need to be, I can't just stick to one kind of energy for a couple of days. I need to like mix it up, see what I'm in the mood for reading. Mm-hmm. And some of these will share like the same examples or there's this YouTube video of that. And I'm thinking, is this a deja vu moment or did I read about this in a previous book? But it's amazing how all of them are connected. Mm-hmm. And people always ask, you know, how can you read so many leadership books or this or that? And it's like everybody has their own voice. Each author has their own. You know, I'll pick up your book because I know you have different experiences mm-hmm. than another author, different mm-hmm. experiences in a different country. Um, this is a police officer that went into HR that, uh, has studied in mediation. Like she's going to have a certain tone. She's going to have certain experiences that other specialists won't. And she'll just view the world through a different lens made Mm -hmm. up of all these different experiences. So there's power and just like that interconnectivity of just all these experiences that you have that you see in your, in your normal life. And if you don't open your eyes, you walk right by them. But I, I'm, I'm with you. I view it that way. One of the another fun story I tell is when I was um, doing a lot, a lot of my leadership training, I always like to have all my leadership books at the back of the room so that if you're on break, pick this one up. I referenced this one in the course here. Take a look yes. at it. You know what? You can borrow it by all means, but very important. But I always flagged my books. I always highlighted my books. If I was thinking about a certain thing, a leadership style, I might label that leadership style. Oh, that's kind of like this person. Hmm. Until that person might be in your course. <laughs> so 
note, I tell readers, note to self, there are exercises in this book. I suggest going to the website and downloading the free charts and exercise PDF and do it there. Don't put it in the book because A, you can keep your book nice and pretty, but you don't risk, you know, writing things out in the book that you might not want other people to share. So that was a panic moment. That was a rip the tabs off the book. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that, it, and it wasn't bad. It wasn't a case of, you know, saying anything derogatory around anybody. It was, no, I know, I know. Right? But I mean, you know, you we go through life building profiles of people, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously profiling has taken on a bad uh, tone because of everything in the world, but that's what we do. You know, we meet somebody at a certain age or a certain experience. And as we go, we build that profile. They're into this. They're not into that. Um, maybe they're a little selfish. Maybe it's a little bit about them. This person is the good listener. This person has a, an amazing work ethic. And as soon as we see that person, that profile comes back. Like we've, we've, understood we haven't built it we've understood what they're all about um so it's gonna happen where you read about something and something comes to mind i mean what got me through my master's program was the environment that i was working in at the time i could write for days based on things that i was viewing things mm. that i was seeing mm -hmm. real life experiences and that's that's what i try to tell people is like those experiences are all around you there's a good chance that somebody else has had the same experience that you've had that's another good reason to speak up because most of the time that anxiety that we feel, that tense feeling that we feel, that tension is that we get the idea, the feeling that we're the only ones that, that has experienced it when somebody has probably seen what you've seen. It's all a matter of reading those books, finding that example, sharing of yourself to see what's in your community that can come back to you. It's amazing just in the pandemic, what people have shared where somebody else is like, oh my God, I feel that same way. Mm. But they probably wouldn't have admitted it before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there wasn't this kind of virtual world where I'm in your house, you're in mine, I feel comfortable here, I'm opening up. Uh, and that's a silver lining, a small silver lining to the pandemic is hopefully it's opened people up more to what the world is and what they can learn from those around them. Mm -hmm. And I find as leaders too, we often, it's very hard when you're in your own organization and it's any organization because there's that competitive nature. There's that shaming, right? I, I don't want to admit that I'm not good at something. I'm not going to tell the other people that I work with, the other supervisors, the other You're not going to give I'm them struggling. ammunition. No, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and that's okay, but you still need to find your community. You need to find somewhere that you can ask these questions um, and so that's, you know, different things that I want to do using the website as well is to, to build these communities. I often say like, I'm going to do a lot of the heavy lifting. I love learning. I love, I listen to podcasts at least one or two a day. I love to read. So if I hear something, if I learn something, I'm going to share it with you. It's going to go mm. beyond this. I mean, I literally just listened to Dr. Eugene Choi like a couple of weeks ago, and I've told like five or six leaders already about him. You got to, here's the podcast, share this, like, read this. This is really interesting. Or if I read another book or I pull out a blog, like we just need to help each other on this journey because it's tough and we have to keep pivoting. The world is changing. Yeah, You just said so much in that, that mm. I, I was just <laughs> nodding because I realize, um, yeah, that life can be a struggle. Work can be a struggle. Mm -hmm. And I've, you know, I'm not going to mention it again here because I always mention it, but there is a need for learning coping skills when you're younger mm -hmm. or not even mm -hmm. coping, living with. We, mm -hmm. we see obstacles as, oh, my God, this is only happening to me. I must be doing something wrong or I'm in the wrong place. But 
you know, going back to Eugene Choi's work and, and the reference that you made to um, the reptilian brain and the mm -hmm. executive function, like I've said, we've been around for hundreds of thousands of years, right? In different iterations. I'm not, I've mentioned before, I'm not an anthropologist. We've been around, and I think there was something in the news yesterday where they found our ancestors back as far as a million years, wow. something like that. I saw some kind of headline yesterday. But we're living in a completely different world now, just in the age of social media, that mm -hmm. instant gratification, that instant access to all the stresses of the world. We're not programmed for that. We're not meant to see that. You know, if if that is the case where it's a million years back, right, our lineage goes back that far and social media has only been around for 15 years about, we're living in a world that just we're not meant for like that because it's just it's overstimulation. We're not. I, I don't know. I've just taken a new appreciation to anything that has to do with um, the stress, the reptilian brain, the neocortex, mm -hmm. that yep. just that evolution, the fight or flight that we get that sensation before we're about to speak or present mm -hmm. or we stress out about something that served a purpose in the past. And it still does to some effect. But I think we let it control us because we our body acts as if we're going to get attacked by a saber toothed tiger. But it, meanwhile, it's a presentation of 15 or 20 people. So mm -hmm. it's that disconnect that, and I, I just see it more and more. Like I, I just see us more as, as primitive, like we're programmed that way. And there are things that I look around and see like, yeah, we're not meant to have that access to, to that kind of stressor. Um, and it's hard to reconcile the two because you don't have to jump into action. You don't have to defend yourself physically, but our body still wants to. Mm -hmm. And that plays into what you said before about the creativity where I've seen that that helps me because it's burning off that energy. Yeah. You know, you get into that state of flow where you're writing a blog post or you're writing your book or playing my bass or my guitar or working out, which I haven't done in a while. But I always wondered why it, the, they talk about the release of endorphins and all that when you work out. But I just see it as and obviously they know the science of it. My new appreciation of that is that I have this energy that I need to burn off. Mm -hmm. And we don't have those physical needs like we needed to for millennia and millennia and millennia. When I got on a bike, when I worked out, getting that heart rate up, my body's burning off that energy. It's burning off that anxiety. Because for me, mm -hmm. anxiety is just dwelling in something and not not being productive, not creating. We're just, I think we're just full of energy. And if we don't burn that off in the way that works for us, that for me is how my anxiety manifests itself. Because I'm not, I'm not, it's the thrill of the hunt. Whether the book is writing, whether it's painting, whether it's music, it's getting that energetic creativity out of yourself. So just in this conversation, I've realized how much more I've seen things change for me during the pandemic because I realized what that kind of anxiety is. And so you brought up uh, Eugene Choi, and it's just I've seen the relevance of that more now than ever. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's so many things like we can unpack for it when it comes to leadership and it comes to like the changes. I mean, everything from you know, virtual leadership and trying to understand that. My chapter is called um, out, of sight, out of Sight Shouldn't Equal Out of Mind. And Ooh. so how how do you do that? I mean, I can't see this person. Some people that caused a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress as leaders. I don't know how to lead them if I can't see them, if they're not in yeah. front of me. I don't know what you're doing. Um, so I give some some great analogies and explanations. And again, I, I based on my surveys and my interviews with employees, Tell mm -hmm. me what you're loving. What are you not loving? What are things that creatively, so we talked about creativity, so we can go down that one. Um, 
You know, what are you doing to engage your employees in just a fun, creative way? Are all you're doing is, okay, be on Zoom call at uh, 10 o'clock. Everybody logs in. Everybody sits there. Maybe they don't even turn on their screens. Nobody talks. You listen to the leader, <laughs> right? Yeah. And then out you go. We, we don't even have the stand around and have a coffee and talk to each other anymore. You don't have any of the conversation. You don't have any creativity. So here's a super fun one. Um, it's uh, an engineering or architectural firm. And at Christmas... And they knew, like, you've obviously got your, your kids and stuff home too. So they sent everybody a package and in it is a gingerbread house, but it's not made. Well, mm -hmm. this is an architectural firm. So what kind of gingerbread houses do you think we're going to get? Some pretty good creativity and we're going to have a competition. And then we're going to get on Zoom and we're all going to show each other the diff our different productions, what we've created. We're going to explain it. It has to have a story behind it. What if? fun thing to do. And it has nothing to do with a meeting or productivity. It's just creativity, you know, enjoying each other, sharing with each other, like here's our kids, you know, they're, they were part of it. We need to instill a little bit more of that because mm -hmm. we used to do a lot of the, like, let's go out for lunch or let's have a little chat. Well, if your leadership and it's global and your different time frames, like there's a lot of different things that you need to think about now. But we still need that creativity. We still need that fun. Could you have a meeting and let everybody go for a walk? Why couldn't you take your phone and go for a walk and still be part of the meeting? Hmm. Why do they have to sit behind a screen? Yeah, I think obviously with the technology, the virtual world, signing on just for meetings, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so there's so there's just the meeting virtually and everybody signs off or the yep. meeting, that same meeting in the workplace and then people break off into mm -hmm. duos and they walk back to their desk together or they go out for coffee or they go walk around the block. It's shifted more to transactional. Yeah. You know, there's tra transactional, transformational, and now it's shifting more towards transactional because you're right. We sign on for the meeting and mm -hmm. when we're done, that's it. There is no chance to have those kind of one-offs. Um, yeah. And, and a lot does get lost. And I love the the creative ideas you've provided for how to get around that and how to how to keep people engaged and just burning off those creative juices. And it's so that it's not just robotic, technological and, and transactional. And by doing some of these things and having those conversations beforehand, guess what? I'm getting to know who I'm leading. I'm learning more about you. I'm learning about, because that's what you used to do. You, those chats before and after the meeting was really when you got to learn more about your colleagues. You got to learn about their struggles. You got to learn about things that, that they were being challenged with. Another, another great example is an employee told me, the thing I miss the most is being able to have that little sidebar because I didn't understand something and I don't want to admit it. But I used to have a colleague sitting beside me and I could ask them, okay, I didn't really understand that. I, I can literally picture myself d doing that in meetings. Okay. What, what can you, can you help me with that after? Cause I don't understand what they're doing. I don't, I don't, this yeah. new it app and this new software and this new, I don't, I don't get it. That's your forte. Can you teach me? Yeah. Well, now you almost feel like you're interrupting somebody. If you what, send them a text after, do you have five minutes? Well, no, I'm going into another meeting or no, it's, it's just, we don't, we have to now recreate ways some places are doing it where they log in don't set the meeting for 9 a.m set the meeting for 9 10 mm -hmm. so that people can log in at nine they can do those conversations they can have some time and then they can leave the meeting 
have, grab their coffee, have another chat, and then get into the next meeting. Why do we book the meetings? Nine, 10, 11, 12. Oh, yeah. You don't even leave yeah. people a gap. Yeah. But so, yeah, transactional, calendar driven, event driven, project I mean, I, driven. I, I've seen clients where they show me their calendars and there's just no free time. It's just oh. back to back to back all across the week. Mm hmm. It's, it's incredible. And then they get to their actual work at like five o'clock at night or seven o'clock or eight o'clock after their kids have gone to bed. It's, mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing. It's, it's mind blowing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's so many things that we can learn as leaders. There's so many things that we can, um, you know, institute. And by doing these things, guess what? You're going to start to inspire the people that work with you. You're going to get to engage with the people that work with you. And they're going to want to stay with you because people leave leaders. They don't leave organizations. Mm. It's been shown over and over. My stats are somewhere around 78%. 60% left because of a leader. 10% were still considering it. So we're already way over 78%. Yeah. And the other, you know, 23, they haven't. But it doesn't yeah. say they won't. And it might be just because of life circumstance that they can't. But now, yeah, they can. We got a million jobs here in Canada that aren't filled. So there's lots of opportunities for people to jump. So yeah. if you're going to have to, you know, start to meet the needs. And there's some really neat ways to do it. It's not scary. It doesn't have to be scary. We can look at this as an opportunity. Yeah. I, you know, it just came up in conversation again, just the, mm -hmm. the other day mm -hmm. where it's like, you don't you know consultants are great coaches are great mm -hmm. i think we're great carrie yeah, we but um <laughs> but it's amazing what can happen just through language mm -hmm. it can it's amazing what can happen just through gestures mm -hmm. uh you don't need a multi-million dollar budget to effectuate change i think obviously having a coach mm -hmm. or a consultant who guides you through the best way to do those exercises or get into that mindset of course but it's amazing that you can institute such change or effectuate. I don't want to institutionalize it. Effectuate just by language, mm -hmm. just by being human, just by being genuine and authentic mm -hmm. and open. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think so many leaders, they don't try. They don't work in, the, in that direction because they think it takes a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of resources. You have to have a perfect plan in place. Mm -hmm. So they don't move at all. And I've learned from my 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 friends at work. I've learned from my uh, my clients that a lot of time they just want acknowledgement. Yep. They just want you to at least see what they're seeing, how it affects them, and even a thank you. Mm -hmm. I've I've heard that so many times. Mm -hmm. I don't need a raise. A raise, a promotion would be amazing. I just need you to say thank you. Mm -hmm. I just need you to realize. Just give me a, a a shout out every once in a while. Or I don't need it, but they say I know that when I hear it. It, it kind of like, holy shit, I have a purpose. I do have a purpose here. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing what just language itself, again, communication, relationship building, what those gestures of authenticity and just humanity, you know, it sounds hokey, but just being human, what that can do for people. Yeah. And I think, I think part of the role of the coach and the consultant is really to come in and help you just slow down, get you out of that reptilian brain so that we yeah. can get into the executive, you know, um, creative brain yes. and it's to hold up a mirror, help you see what's happening and then give you quick wins. It, it, like you said, it's, it doesn't all have to be absolutely huge, but if you can start to see little quick wins, if you can start to see my best piece was when I would bring two people in that were, you know, butting heads and not getting along and this doesn't make any sense. 
And if within the hour I could get the two of them laughing and looking at each other and go, oh, I think I know what we had that fight yesterday. Yeah. That's beautiful, right? And it didn't take a long time. They've learned they're going to have to do a lot of the work, of course. I mean, here's the exercise. You have to keep going. But it's just to bring you to that point where you feel re-energized too because leaders get tired and I completely Absolutely. get it. it is, it's exhausting. It's really hard. So Carrie Lynn, what, what did you learn from writing this book? Um, I know you said that as you were writing it, you were picking things up that you might hear mm -hmm. and it would remind you to include it. But mm -hmm. when all was said and done, when you submitted the book or you're in the process of kind mm -hmm. of getting to that point, mm -hmm. it's not out yet, but what have you, how has it changed you? How has it changed the way that you view things, whether it's professionally, personally, what has changed in you as a result of going through this journey of writing the book? I think it reignited my belief in people. I think it, you know, just reinstilled the fact that there's potential in everyone. There's, we can leverage opportunities. There's so many opportunities. There's so many great things we can learn from other people. This opportunity to meet with you today and to talk with you, you know, I take away from that more um, what I've learned and things to think about. And really, that's what the book has given me. It's just been fantastic because it just opens up so many opportunities to talk to people and to learn things. And it's been it's been fabulous. And then for. Obviously, you're the author of the book we're covering. <laughs> mm -hmm. What book is it that stands out to you? Oh, there's so many great ones. Um, and I get, in fact, I get that fun. a lot. Yeah, Go ahead, but I'm sorry. No, no, that's okay. Well, there are so many great ones. And I was thinking too, like when you talked about reading books and I did have a lot of leadership books and it was fun actually going back and rereading them because I read them kind of at the beginning of yeah. my career or the beginning yeah. of my leadership journey. And then you read it and go, huh? Yeah. yeah. You thought, you thought that was going to be easy. That wasn't. <laughs> yeah. I've had that so many times, so many times where I read something as like a young person. I'm like, okay, if I read this book, it's all going to make sense. I'm going to be so much better. Mm -hmm. And I read it and, and say it's like 20 years ago. And then if I go back and read that book, now you can, now you can overlap it. Now you can kind of do one of these where you slide the lesson over your life and say, mm -hmm. okay, now it makes sense. Now it stands out as to why that was important. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it, it's, it's amazing when you read books in different phases, even, I think maybe a year or two apart. I think a book that I covered for this series I had read a few years ago and I went back and, and re-looked through it and my take on it, my view on it was just completely different. I mm -hmm. think mostly because of the pandemic and the urgency of the world, but it's fascinating how we just take in information differently based on the phase that we're in. Mm -hmm. um, one that I read during writing this book was um, The Thin Book of Trust by Charles mm. Feltman. And in it, I just really liked his definitions of trust. And I had actually heard him on podcasts first, um, which is often what brought me to books. I would yeah. listen to the podcast. I love meeting the author, like exactly what you're doing. I mean, you're bringing to us the authors and you're helping us understand who they are. What's behind it? Why did you write it? And then you're just, you're intrigued and then you go and get the book and then you do some of your own learning. Because what yeah. I wanted you to get from the book is not necessarily what you're going to take from the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so what I took from his book was the concept of trust. It takes so much to to earn it. And it's so easily lost. Oh, yeah. So easily lost. And once you lose it, do you ever really get it back? 
I don't know. I, I kind of, I don't think so. So as leaders, look at the responsibility you have. You, you need to build and earn the trust of the people that you're leading. I think leadership, it's an honor. It's a privilege. Yeah. It's not just a title you're given. You are being given a huge responsibility. And I think a lot of it is based on trust. You have to build people's trust. And if you broke it, you better own it and go and apologize and explain what you've learned from it. Yeah, I love that. I think in the last couple of days, I think I came across an article that was like the top 10 books to read on this or that. Mm -hmm. And I think I may have seen the book on trust because it was weird. It, once I saw the title, I had trust in it. I'm like, huh, I don't think I've read too much about a book on trust. Mm -hmm. We hear about it all the time. We obviously utilize it, give it, take it. But I don't think I've ever read a book that was focused solely on trust. Mm -hmm. So I'll have to look into that. Mm -hmm. And then when you were talking about ownership, that reminds me of the book by Jocko Willink, Extreme Ownership. Mm -hmm. Um, where he's a Navy SEAL, well-known, now he's a management consultant, uh, teaching, consulting based on the lessons that he learned while he was mm -hmm. overseas in mm -hmm. Iraq, I believe. Um, and the main lesson is his is in his book is you're responsible for everything, which I mm -hmm. believe is the case, you know, except for nefarious um, actions that, that they were trying to sneak off and do something, you know, somebody within your charge or whatever you right. want to call it. You are responsible for everything because you set the environment that allows people to thrive or mm -hmm. and or fail or how they fail, whatever it may be. But I love that idea that you are in charge. You're responsible for everything. Mm -hmm. You can't say, well, that happened a few levels down. So I'm that disconnected again, unless they're really being nefarious and and you know the enrons the worldcom that kind of thing but it there really is something to know you are responsible because there's a ripple effect of the 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 environment that you set the tone that you that you give and provide the words that you use there's a mm -hmm. ripple effect to that and you set that stage so i love that you bring up that that kind of ownership that you are responsible really responsible not just for the tasks mm -hmm. but what it takes to really get there like the vision the mission uh, the listening, the communication, everything we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And actually, I can draw it right back to that example that we talked about right at the beginning. Well, like when I was six, right? And my dad with those pennies and well, no, like give it back. You have to earn what you get. You don't take. So one of the lessons that I talk about again in the book is, OK, I need to look at that as a leader. If if that's kind of how I have run my life and those are my expectations that we need to keep giving and giving and giving. What does that then do to the people that I'm leading? What, what have I, I've surrounded myself with fabulous, fantastic, different employees and teams, but I'm expecting everybody to keep giving because that's kind of the value by which I live. But am I then kind of burning people out because of that expectation? That's not an easy thing as a mm. leader to really look at, right? And that, that takes growth. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that at 20 and 30, I was great at doing that. I was till I was 50 and, you know, do that self-reflection and say, hmm, yeah, I think you kind of own that one. If if I'm trying to say everybody take care of yourself, but then I lead by keep giving and burning myself out, well, then I'm not really doing what yeah. I'm asking you to do, am I? Yeah. My intentions were good. Very yeah. good. Right. It's to give other people give more, but I'm still not really doing it. Yeah, that that in that constant giving 
I think is problematic. Uh, seeing it play out in organizations where the leader believes that he or she is the one that has to have the answers, that mm -hmm. they're the ones that have to solve all the problems. It minimizes trust because they're not taking in, they're not listening. Like it's it's all one way where it should be balanced, this give and take where, yes, when I specialize in something, I can step in with recommendations or suggestions, but that a big piece of leadership is inspiring others to step up with what they can offer as well, that it's not just coming in to save the day. And it's amazing how many people do have that that mentality. They They burn out because they're like, I got put into this supervisor position. If I don't come up with the answers, if I don't solve the problems, then people are going to look at me, you know, a way that I don't want them to view me. They're going to look down on me. They're going to be disappointed. But it's like, yeah, but you're putting that stress on yourself. So, I mean, that's just a, another great example of where yeah. it does have to be give and take. Yeah, there's so many different like ways to take that too, whether it's, you know, what is perfectionism really? Well, it's not wanting to be vulnerable. Um, there's a part about what you talked about autonomy. That was another huge one that came up in the survey. What do you need? What's something that would really, you know, inspire you being allowed to be autonomous? And that has yes. come up huge in the virtual leadership. Are we allowing people the autonomy of figuring out their own hours? How are you clocking their work? You know, do you want to see that calendar full every minute? Can they work different hours? Can they go for a walk? Do they have to be in front of the computer? Are you counting keystrokes? I mean, there's so many different things <laughs> that that can be explored by. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it's the thank you email. And sometimes it's the, I believe in you. You can make the decision. You, you know what you know. And I believe in you as a leader. And if yeah. you make a mistake, guess what? I'm going to back you. Yeah. That mean, I mean that, those are those are huge. learning moments. Learning yeah. moments. Yeah. Um, so I mean, this book isn't out yet. Uh, but I can assume that you're probably already thinking about what you want to get to next. So what do you mm -hmm. think? What what do you think what do you think your next writing piece, your next book, or do you have an idea of what it is you want to tackle down the road uh for your writing? Um, so I'm I'm now writing blogs and I'm putting them under the website um for the book. Um, and I really, I've really enjoyed talking about the book and adding value before it comes out, because I really believe in that, again, building relationship, you, people need to understand who I am and how I think, in order to really take from the book what I'm hoping that you'll get and want to read it. Um, I love facilitation. So my aim for the fall really is a lot of speaking engagements, training engagements. I do not believe in cookie cutter training sessions. I believe in meeting with leaders. What do you think we need? Let me take a couple looks and then we'll design it specifically for you, whether it's that yes, small team, yeah, the bigger team, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, and here's another one. Mm -mm. Don't just give it to three people. And then the rest of the organization has no idea what you're doing because it doesn't add value to anybody. The poor three people come back so excited and they've got all these ideas and nobody else understands what you're trying to do. Other people leave le feel left out. Well, yeah, they only give it to the C-level people. We never get any training. Yeah, which, which is happens not, a lot. It's not engaging. It's not inspiring. It's not um, It's not succession planning, right? We need to build people. We need to empower people. We need to give them the information. Even if you're not at that level yet, you're still going to learn. You don't have to be the leader to read the book. You're still going to get things out of it. Yeah. You're going to learn how to explain to the leader who you are so they can get to know you. So that's the stuff I, I, I really want to be able to bring to people. 
Yeah. When I work with students, I tell them, you know, don't wait until your leader, don't wait until their manager, right. supervisor, whatever level, 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 excuse me, of leadership it is. Mm -hmm. Don't wait until you're at those positions in those, in those areas, in those titles to go seek out the knowledge of how to be a leader. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's a work in progress. Your definition, your ability may look different than the next person's. It's a constant work, even when you haven't attained that official title of leader. So we're mm -hmm. always works in progress. We just have to realize that. Well, and that's kind of like what you and I said, you know, we read the book at one point in our life. And then we go back and we reread the book because we read it for a different purpose. And that's exactly the point. I read many of these books over a decade ago, and then I've reread them. I, I took things from them at both stages. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think in answer to your question, I think it's providing for everybody post book. That's really my aim. I want to um, continue to add value, continue to give you resources, continue to blog, continue to, you know, have some of those mastermind groups, because I think this is just the beginning of the conversation. Let's see where we can take it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much more to hearing the author's voice, such as yours, the mm -hmm. tone in which you're sharing it, uh, the urgency and the importance. <laughs> and I think that just the tone of experience, the list mm -hmm. of experience, because you can share it on social media all day, you know what I mean? But there's something about the conversation and what people can gather from this kind of interaction that shows you where Carrie Lynn is coming from. And I think that that helps build up to the book more. So I, I'm glad I can do my small part to kind of get your voice out there and, and what it is you want to share. Oh, I'm really thankful for uh, podcasts like yours because I, I listen to them all the time. I think people need to digest the information in different ways. And, you know, that comes back to knowing who you're leading and how do people learn? Some yeah. people want to learn it, you know, by reading the blog. Some people want to see the post. Some people want to read the book. Some people want to hear about it first. We all, you know, get the information differently. Um, and that's okay yeah. because we're all taking from it in our own unique ways. And I think that's what just makes humanity so incredibly wonderful. Yeah, I think we're so lucky to, to be living in such a time where we have that accessibility, you know, mm -hmm. that wasn't around really a decade ago. So we're lucky to be around in this particular time. Mm -hmm. uh, so Carrie Lynn, how would you, in a short phrase or a few sentences, how would you kind of sell the book to somebody? What is the kind of package that you would give to somebody that is across any, any kind of field, not just in, in leadership of any particular industry, mm -hmm. anybody at all? How, what would you tell them about this book to get them to, to share with them what the value is in it? What, how would you summarize that? that I promise that if you read this book, I'm gonna help you learn more about yourself and the people that you're leading. And by doing that, I am going to help resolve some issues that have existed for a very, very long time. I love it. Yep. Perfect. Yep. Is there anything else that you'd like to share that we might've missed that you wanna mention? Anything maybe coming up or anything at all that, that didn't come up that you'd like to share? Um, I'm starting next week as a professor at our local college. And so I'm really looking forward to that too, because now I'm going to start, you know, working with some of our new inspiring leaders. So, um, watch me on LinkedIn. I do a lot of, uh, you know, publishing there, share with you what I'm learning. Cause I think that's really what it's all about. So yeah, learn with me. Amazing. Thank you so much for sitting down for this conversation, Carrie Lynn. You're really welcome. That was great. 
And again, the book that we've been discussing is Carrie Lynn's. It'll be out later this summer, knowing mm-hmm. who you lead important lessons on why we need to understand those we lead. Um, yeah, I could talk about this for days. Uh, there's so <laughs> many great sure. lessons in it. And again, that the power of somebody's experiences, their life, their stories, the examples that they can give us as authors is just amazing. Uh, no two books are going to be alike. Everybody's going to mm-hmm. bring their own unique value. So congratulations on the book, Kaylin. Thanks. It was it was such a pleasure to write. And if anybody listening or watching, if there's anything that I might have missed that you would have asked, Carrie Lynn, just let me know. Shoot me an email. I'll have her contact information, her LinkedIn when I publish this episode. Uh, in the meantime, until the next episode, thank you for joining me and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye.